Hello and welcome to the moment you've all been waiting for, or perhaps just the moment that I've been waiting for. <laughs> I'm Jessie Scott, your host for today, and I'm joined by Carla Donnelly. Hello. And Maggie Scott. Hello. In discussing the films Haywire and drumroll, Magic Mike. Just as the girlfriend experience was ground zero for Carla, so Magic Mike is the film that ignited the flame that has never died in my heart for both Soderbergh and, it must be said, Channing Tatum. It also reignited Soderbergh's career after the typically strange grab bag of choices made in Haywire, and its very mixed reception and disappointing box office. Magic Mike was a triumphant, if weird, return to commercial form. And I say weird because Magic Mike is as equally uncategorizable and unexpected as any of Soderbergh's more marginal films. And yet at the same time, the combination of Channing Tatum plus Male Stripper Review <laughs> netted at $167 million worldwide. I'll leave it there for now and let Carla introduce Haywire. Take it away, Carla. Unit 3. Unit 3. Proceed with suspects to 2345 Clearview. Repeat, 2345 Clearview and hold. Federal agents en route. Unit 3, copy. Must have stepped in something. Yeah. Excuse me, Deputy Cross? Deputy Cross? Hi. You were in the core, right? I was a devil dog. Listen, this might sound a little funny. I'm a private contractor on a 1024 operation, and these guys you're about to meet are not federal agents. I mean, follow your protocol and all, but you should really keep your distance. Use your radio and your loudspeakers in order to confirm who these guys aren't. Really, I'm not joking. You can look me up. A New Mexico license for Mallory Kane. I'll confirm the number. You need to sit back. Look, an innocent civilian will be killed if you do not hey, listen to me. Wonder Woman, you said your piece. Now sit back and shut up. Haywire, released in 2011, is a straightforward espionage action thriller. Starring Gina Carano in the central role of Mal Mallory... A retired Marine comes spy. She is double-crossed by her handler, Kenneth, played by Ewan McGregor, and spends most of the movie on the run, trying to stay alive and get it, to get to the bottom of the truth. In Soderbergh's tradition of using non-traditional actors, Karana was a retired MMA fighter and does her own stunts in the film in some truly brutal fight scenes. You also have the first appearance of ex-stripper slash professional dancer come serious actor Channing Tatum in a minor but pivotal role of Aaron. The script is by Lem Dobbs and it very much feels like a reboot of The Limey, however much more dynamic and tight. The Limey felt at times like a languorous art house piece. This is a straight, no-frills action movie. And boy, does it thrill. I can't believe that I never knew about this movie at the time or until now, and it's a solid thriller with exceptional fight scene direction. The storyline, although so trite it could be accused of being pastiche, feels fresh in the hands of Soderbergh and Carano. Sometimes I want a popcorn flick with fight scenes and car chases, but this also had enough to keep you guessing and enough exposition for the people in the back. From the girlfriend experience beyond, we've entered into a period of solid female protagonists for Soderbergh's films, and he doesn't disappoint. I really, really loved this film. I feel like it's just as good as a Bourne movie. It didn't drop the beat for a second, and from start to finish, I was hooked. 
with a stellar cast featuring Antonio Banderas, Michael Douglas, Michael Fassbender, and Bill Paxton, this film did does so much for the female action star and it just sank like a stone. Why? Why do you think this happened? I, don't, I think the script wasn't great. I think, okay. like, towards the end, I mean, I, I agree with you. I really, I was. It was, it was pretty simple. It was simple, but at the, at, I think in the third half, the third quarter of the film, it kind of dropped. I don't know. I, I just didn't quite, didn't quite understand what was going on. Okay. But, um, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, you know, it was a great, I think what it was, like, why it sank was, um, I agree with you. I think the action scenes were great, but they weren't like action scenes, you know, like they were very much you know camera watching and it looked brutal but you know compared to what an action scene in a big budget film looks like where you know there's lots of different shots and sound effects and all that stuff it wasn't like that they were like static mostly static Mm. um fight scenes so i think i'm not being critical of that i just think that's what um, yeah it's not like kind of a a a visual language that most people are used to Mm -hmm. I'm just going to go out on a complete limb here and say that oh, I think it failed because I think it's a really bad film. Oh, great. I, really, I, really, I don't know. I don't know if I've ever disagreed with you so strongly. Carla. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I feel like it had a lot of potential. Like okay. I feel like Jenny Carano is actually, you know, quite compelling, mm. but I feel like the movie did not support her to, as a non-actor to pull it off. Okay. And I, there were just, I feel it just was not well produced. Like, and I felt like there were, you know, it was a movie that um, its slip was showing for me. Like there were so Ah. many scenes where I was really aware of uh, just stuff like, um, you know, when they're preparing for the op in Barcelona and there's all these close-ups of what they're doing. And there's just a real awareness as you're watching it that like, they're holding things up for the camera. Okay. Um, and it wasn't cut, it wasn't cut tightly enough. Like, and just little moments like that throughout the film or like the lighting, I thought was really bad. There were moments that looked like, you know, neighbors where that, you know, it's shot in the afternoon, but they're pretending that it's um, nighttime. <laughs> little well, yeah, like you like did that. the fight scene um, with Ewan McGregor and Gina Carano on the beach. Yeah. He tried, he did that like in 15 minutes um at night time you know just at dusk or maybe it was dawn I can't remember which one but in 15 minutes every day for four days they had to come back and do that mm. scene I quite like that scene. Well, that, was the way it was cut. that was well maybe it wasn't multi-cam but it was multi-perspective like that yeah. fight scene was shot from four or five different perspectives yeah but I think you're right just I mean I think I didn't I didn't hate it I didn't think it was a really bad film but I think there was I, mean, I just thought I'm it was unremarkable. I thought it looked unremarkable. Yeah. There was nothing like, I don't remember, you know, like every single room they were in and they were in a lot of rooms, like they were in rooms a lot. Do you they think weren't interesting a- looking rooms. They weren't interesting shots. The lighting was not interesting. I feel like as a filmmaker, he's so capable of making such incredibly stylish films mm. like The Informant, which yeah. was, you know, in the last episode. Um that I just it was just really jarring for me. I was really aware all the time of like how it was constructed and how like just you it didn't really feel took like the passion was there. Think, was it a Lem Dobbs no. problem or a Soderbergh problem? I think the I think the dialogue's quite bad as well. Yeah. Um I, I think, think that may have been dumbed down not dumbed down, but I think it may have been stripped out for her. Yeah. Um because the there was a lot of sort of not a lot, but there was post post-production, post-production dubbing 
of yes. her dialogue and so oh, okay. perhaps it was the dialogue was stripped down from Lem's um, script. I'm not sure. Yeah. I just felt that like all of these kind of elements of the production left her really exposed and because she was mm, the centre of the film, yeah. um, she couldn't carry it and it wasn't, you know, not because of a lack of charisma I mean obviously she's an amazing fighter and every single one of those fight scenes I was completely convinced of her ability to kick those guys asses like, yeah but at the same time it also they all felt very rehearsed to me as and well when, when he's used non-actors in the past you know there have been films that can carry that kind of um, direction yeah. with a non-actor yes but this is it this is a big I don't know if it was was it big budget color like but you know what I'm saying you know what I'm saying it's like a it's a different it's competing kind of genre. against big budget films. It's a big genre right. film, so it's not the same. You know, you you kind of need to rely on a star for a film like this. I mean, I didn't have a problem with it though. I just well, I actually think like I've been reflecting on it for a while, and I think the the big difference for me in my mind from this to say more conventional blockbustery action films is it's not so much dialogue or even character development or anything like that. It's like lack of technology. Yeah. Like a lot of these films are really floated by like the cool technology and the, <laughs> and the, yeah. the sting or the way that they're going to like get this person out or, you know, even like um, unsophisticated technology. Um, and that was, I felt was the thing that was really missing from this film. Like there was a little bit of it, but it was mainly entirely reliant on her hand-to-hand combat skills mm-hmm. um, where with an espionage type film you would expect some more gadgets te- gadgets yeah exactly yeah. great word one thing that kind of shocked me was like in that first um, scene and this happened a couple of times throughout the film where the guys land the punches first and she gets knocked up you know completely mm. knocked over um, and then she just comes back and kicks their asses but that mm. you know that kind of like she doesn't she's not protected um, from from that, no, and violence. I think she carries that really well. Yeah. Like, I really yeah. like that she's, she's very not tough. this sexy, you know, like the, yeah, there's nothing sexy. She's not a femme fatale. Not that she's not sexual, but like she just, um, she's very convincing as someone who can hold their own. Like, yeah. you never feel like she's, you know, vulnerable or, nah. I don't know, like she's, yeah, like she's charismatic. Like, I get why he wanted to make a film with her. Like, but yeah, man, also. Bad pants, really bad pants, really bad knitted cap. Like, what, oh, what the yeah. fuck was that about? Like, well, she was blending into the streets of Dublin, you know. So, <laughs> still thought it was in the late two thousand. Cruel. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, yeah, I think that um, it just wasn't up to his usual standard, especially considering he shot and edited it. I was really disappointed in those elements of the film. To me, it just it was too distracting. Like those you know, the kind of lack of tightness, the, even though, I mean, it is kind of tight, but it like felt underbaked and B grade. And And different, um, different lighting and like he had color filters at the start. And then by the time we got to Dublin, it was just using natural light. Mm. So I think that contrast between, you know, Mm. it wasn't consistent through the whole film. Too many, and too many interior shots. I'm like, get them out in the world a bit more. Like those were the moments that actually really engaged me when she's kind of like running through buildings or through the back streets Mm. of Dublin or whatever. Like those were the bits where I became a bit more interested. I think, yeah, the Lem Dobbs script didn't impress me. Do you, do you feel think. like it compares, like do you feel sort of it's reminiscent of the Limey? Like there was sort of like visual cues in that for me that made me think of the Limey, which was like, you know, the, Bill Paxton's house in Mexico, like that whole scene mm. there, that was like very reminiscent to me of the shootout yeah. at the end of the Limey. Yes. Mm. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. 
Absolutely, yeah. And also um, a little bit of the underneath, mm. kind of, you know, the use of colour filters. And and um, that was probably one of the more successful scenes in the film too, like um, in terms of the stylistic elements and it all coming together a bit for me. Um, um, the whole, you know, the thing in the car where she's telling the random... Oh, yeah, random, that was pretty on the nose. Well, it just yeah. it didn't kind of go anywhere, so I didn't know what, you know, like ultimately why was she doing that? I guess yeah. it was just she was doing it. No, she was doing it to cover herself. I so, know, but yeah. it, didn't, it didn't connect. It didn't, yeah, it didn't, yeah, yeah. It didn't conclude. Yeah. No, that that's right. It didn't conclude either. Yeah. 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 Um, so, bad, yeah. I'm going to I'm gonna call it, I think it's bad script. I mean, yes, there were definitely production issues, but I think ultimately it could have carried if the script was a little bit better yeah did you read anything from lamb i mean him sure he's outspoken so he never said it yeah okay no i I didn't look anything up about no but i don't think he's worked with him again since this film was also um shot before contagion okay so that's interesting released after yeah um, okay that's interesting yeah and you know i'm thinking you know soderbergh might have had some issues around this time i'm just i'm completely drawing bows here but you know he go after this he goes off to oh no around this time he goes he comes here to australia has a fling gets a girl pregnant you, you know you'd have to say Break, some, some like a temporary going down in your personal life sort of had broken up at the time with his wife yeah. yeah yeah and then also like you know going on what you've said jesse to me like i feel like you feel like it smacks of that you know um, a band that's got one more album on their contract and they just put together like a compilation <laughs> yeah. kind of feel to it. Yeah, maybe. I still yeah. Lo- I loved it. Yeah. I don't think it looked as good as his other films and it did sort of feel more like of a papier-mâché type <laughs> feel to it in terms sure. of his technique. Mm. But I really loved – it was just so fresh to me, the female character. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, there's been a lot of really average male action heroes – that you you know you wouldn't even blink twice at that sure. kind of deadpanness or whatever. Yeah. Um. I you know I think it was good. I enjoyed it. I didn't love it, but I really enjoyed it. Still, his his shittest films are better than most other films. So. <laughs> I'm not averse to a cheesy action film, yeah. as I think has is has been documented on this show before. But I prefer it if there is some kind of element of what the fuck involved, and there just was no for me. There was nothing camp or weird or like how did they how did that get made you know like, yeah, right. yeah. it just was like oh yeah okay he was trying you to know? be stylish I think he was trying to be like he said I remember reading somewhere that he made it like a, jo- a James Bond film mm. that was the tone he was going for so maybe if he camped it up a bit yeah but there wasn't any been. of that glamour no there wasn't it, you know no. yeah I think the best scene in it was really the beach fight scene the yeah, way it was I love cut that. was quite yeah. interesting yeah mm. all right excellent let's move on Yes. <laughs> Let's fucking get it on right now. Let's go. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. Hey, hey. Now, I want to go with two rules with y'all tonight. Yeah, it ain't that hard. Don't worry about it. All right, rule number one. This is the what can you touch and not touch rule. Can you touch it? Can you touch it? No, 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 no. Take a tie. Can you touch that? Can you touch it? No, 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 no. And finally, last one, ladies. Can you touch this? <laughs> <laughs> 
Kenny Robin Todd's here. Well, that too, the law says that you cannot touch. But I think I see a lot of lawbreakers up in this house. I think to fully appreciate Magic Mike, we have to cast our minds back to the pre-woke days of 2012. The top 10 grossing films of the year list was headed by Marvel's The Avengers, James Bond's Skyfall, and The Dark Knight Rises. Some pretty grim macho shit, if ever there was. Too long. (laughs) The list is dominated by franchises, sequels, and threequels, a predicament we're now familiar with. But lower down on the list are some small indications that there might be some change in the air. First, the final instalment of the Twilight Saga at six, (laughs) and then at number nine, The Hunger Games. Small but perhaps important indications that the industry is starting to pay attention to women as a market, to let them carry films, to accede to their gazes, and to take their admittedly sometimes dumb preferred genres as seriously as they had always taken men's dumb preferred genres. (laughs) Into the mix steps Magic Mike, the extremely camp and yet extremely heterosexual male stripper Panto, starring ageing teen heartthrob Channing Tatum, and based on his own experiences as an 18-year-old stripper in Tampa. The film is basically a classic Hollywood tale of changing of the guard. A star is born with penis pumps and leather thongs. (laughs) Tatum plays the star of the exquisite male review who is holding out for a percentage of equity in his slimy boss Dallas's expansion plan. He's getting on. And even though he can still party with the best of them, he's desperate to get his artisanal furniture business off the ground to stop hustling for every buck and make a real connection with someone. He meets Adam, a young guy on a construction job who seems a bit hapless and clueless. And in an act, both generous and self-serving, Mike helps get him a gig at the strip club, not realising or maybe realising precisely that he's just opened the door to the younger stud who will replace him. Also known as the kid, Adam has an older sister, Brooke, a grounding influence on Mike, who is at turns amused, disturbed and grudgingly respectful of what he does and the world Adam has been ushered into. Ultimately, though, she doesn't have the stomach for the parting life they lead and tells Mike as much, leading him to a Sophie's choice between chaps... (laughs) Between chaps or the chance for true love. The movie is to some extent tongue-in-cheek, but it also gives respect where due, highlighting Mike's genuine talents as an exotic dancer. It reminds me of Boogie Nights as well, in the sense that although it doesn't present cliched tropes about strippers with hearts of gold being rescued, it's also pretty realistic about why stripping might wear thin after a while, and also how it can rub up uncomfortably against legal and ethical grey zones. What's most interesting about Magic Mike to me is its depiction of mainstream hetero female sexuality. To some extent, the film in the, the audience in the strip club is the film's audience too, and Soderbergh addresses both in really interesting ways, even more so in Magic Mike Extra Extra Large, but we might get to talk about that at a later date. They come to the strip club and the movie, lacking the intensity of men ogling women. The power balance is more distributed. They are there to have fun together in public. And while they're obviously turned on, there is an element of hilarity and jubilance to their partaking of it. In short, they know it's funny. This is romance, not porn, in the sense of the romance novel, where sex is present, but it's elaborately contextualised and clothed in a bunch of other stuff. There's loads to talk about. Mm. But first up, I would love to know what you both think about the idea of the male stripper review. How does Magic Mike... How does Magic Mike's depiction line up against reality? And would you ever go to the live stage show? Of Magic Mike? 
fucking hey would I go to the live stage show of Magic Mike. I did go to the live stage show of Magic Mike XXL, went to the premiere in Sydney with my friend Zan and they had the guys, not all of them, actually Chan Tates was there. Really? He was. How uh, yeah. did I not know this about you? Yeah, I know. But I he know. doesn't show his money I was very sick of the time. I went anyway. <laughs> and that, you know, it was the, it was like in a stadium and there were so many screaming women and gay men there, like screaming. Everyone <laughs> yeah, was yeah, yeah, yeah. And the guys were up the front doing And then they had all these dances, like backup dances, because there was only like a handful of the guys from the movie. Yeah, so, yeah, and it was great. It was really good. Um but male strippers, I don't. I haven't been to a male. It's stripper interesting. Show. It's like thunder from down under, <laughs> magic, um, exquisite. Can I, can I just can I just point out that you actually have been to a male strip club? Where? When? Crystal Tees. Oh, of course. I forgot about that in my teens. <laughs> Ladies' night. It was at so Crystal Tees on Sydney Road. I forgot. <laughs> I blocked it from my mind. <laughs> How did that compare to Magic Mike? I don't even remember. <laughs> Sorry, Carla, interrupted. No, no, just uh, – but I think that there's, like, would I would I straight-faced go and see The Thunder from Down Under f- as a night of entertainment? Probably not. I find heterosexuality pretty confronting at the best of times, <laughs> let alone in an environment that is so overtly um, – egalitarian in that way I guess but particularly with Magic Mike XSL but listening to your intro as well the thing and this is absolutely not intended by the film I'm convinced of this but the thing that I actually walked away from these films were was what a different world the matriarchy would be Mm. right I'm like I'm not I am not categorically opposed to sex work though I do think the patriarchal world where sex work is a necessitation for a lot of women is very problematic and I wish that the world was different for those women looking at this world where sex is just a fun freaky good time for everybody (laughs) to go and have like quite chaste heart elevation moments and laughs and laughs but then like go home and you know it was like going out dancing you know it really really showed me a different side of sex work and what women's approaches to sex workers are and how polar opposite that is in terms of when I think of the male gaze and men um, with sex workers. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's a, you know, you think of it you know, and you see it portrayed in films as well on TV, but you think of a male strip club, a strip club for, you know, where women are working and mm. it's like quiet and everyone's sitting in their own chair or at their own table, just kind of looking. <laughs> it's just like creepy and not fun. And, well, this you know. is showgirls, yeah. essentially, right? Yeah, yeah. But think about the difference between this, mm. between showgirls and this, yeah. like particularly with the Verhoeven male gaze mm-hmm. and how he portray it. I mean, this story is exactly the same in terms mm-hmm. of yes, old guard, new guard, yeah. Yeah, yeah. right? Um, gypsy. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, obviously, there's the added textural elements of this is really a metaphor for capitalism yeah. and a metaphor for the 2008 stock market crash, yeah. Yeah. Um, told through men's bodies, which I just <laughs> genius. I think genius. you know what you're saying about yeah, like that idea of it um, being kind of this flip, flips, flipped universe or whatever of uh, sex work. It the thing that the phrase that comes to mind is heterosexual drag essentially that like it's like a drag review in the way that 
um, the format is basically the same. Like it's very heavy on costume and narrative. Like each sequence (laughs) has its own space and kind Mm. of character. Like it's very Mm. character driven. And of course it's about, of course there's sort of sexuality to it and sex is part of it, but it's not, yeah, it's not that grim kind of, you know, intensity like of, of men, watching women Ogling, yeah and that's the thing like oh you watch these women and i no doubt i mean my sister is like very hills bride three kids goes to things like this with her hills bride wives and she's like it is the energy in the room is terrifying like these women are so thirsty and hungry but you know you would never you would be in that environment but it's like you would never fear for the men no. like you would never fear for the performers <laughs> and you would never even fear for their feelings you it's know what i mean like, like, it's not like suddenly last summer where like you know they were going to descend and like rip his body yeah. apart or something but in the, in in the flipped in the reversed environment you really do feel that icky yeah. like piranic violence or you know vampiric yeah yeah um misogyny you know yep um, I also thought that, you know, like it's there's this kind of like weird paradox in the film that it's quite, kind of a celebration of masculinity. There's all these like all the characters are like these American male archetypes like the Ken doll, G.I. Joe, yeah. Yeah. the Tarzan, Wild Man, the B-Boy. There's the Dapper Gent from the musical and then the kind of the boy, the boy man, the naive. Who actually the second one you just said is Matt Bomer, who's a gay man. Yeah. Yeah. But it's not like any other, like these men are incredibly in in touch with their feminine side, Mm -hmm. but also kind of like indulging in heterosexual masculine, like sexuality at the same time. Like it's a weird. But they're camping it up. They're camping up. Well, that's interesting when you call it drag because that's drag to me. You know, they're exploring the limits of a gender's presentation. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So that's, uh, you know, the, I think the unintended commentary of the film, which is one of the most, actually one of the most mind-blowing moments of my life. Um, but we can talk about the film. <laughs> but I just want to say, like, how amazing Channing Tatum is as an actor. Yeah. Like, he is so natural. Yeah. And, I mean, obviously he's a dancer, so he's very connected with his body. and But he just moves through this film, like... A big, it's like almost like a big body comedy mm. kind of thing. Mm. Yeah, because he's very funny. There's like a scene so where, funny. you know, she's, um, Brooke is talking to Dallas at, on the sandbar, at the sandbar party. And, you know, he says something really weird about, you know, if he had kids, he'd just put him in front of some money show all day. <laughs> and that's how they'd learn about life. He wouldn't put him in school. She yeah. walks off. She's like, I'd love to meet your kids one day. Walks <laughs> off and he comes up and he's like, I think you and Dallas really connected. You know? <laughs> make sure I'll give you his number so that you can, you know, just those kind of moments that are quite subtle but really gorgeous and funny. Mm. It's, yeah. The it's monochrome. So I mean, I really feel like this film is like the distillation of everything that he has learned mm. to this point. Like, mm. this movie is a masterpiece. It's like, beautiful. I'm not joking. Yeah. And the monochrome, it's so beautifully shot. You can hear the muffled giggles every time <laughs> Dallas comes on. Like, how did the set, they would have all had to gag themselves. He's like <sighs> that guy from Dazed and Confused, but 
you know, yeah. 20 years later, 30 years later, he's like 100 years old, yeah. but he looks like he's anywhere between looks, 33 and 66. looks like it's covered in suede. Yeah. yeah. Like he actually look, he looks textured. Like it's really strange. And that scene where he's teaching um, Matt, uh, oh the my kid how to dance in like the yellow bumps. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's really full on. He's, he's frightening and he's kind of like half man, half goat. Yeah, you know, he's pan. Yeah, he is pan. Yeah, absolutely, you know, totally yeah. pure sexuality. Yeah. yeah, and sort of yeah. I thought it was um. I think rewatching it um this time, I felt more like I got how creepy he was the first time I saw it. But watching it again, it really creeps me out how Mike kind of takes the kid under his wing. There's this sort of repetition of like someone mm. being groomed almost. Yeah. Like it's quite. It's just a bit creepy. It's like he's. He sort of, I think he thinks he's mentoring him, but in a way it's like this double thing that he's sort of replacing himself, but he's also like justifying himself. Like, I also think he's like, you know, in a projection kind of way, like giving to him what he wished he'd had from Dallas. Yeah, possibly. Yeah. Um, but until, you know, it goes sour at the end. There's a real like lack of family in the background. You yeah. Know? Like there's yeah. a sense, an implication. It's never spelled out, but there's a, an implication of troubled families in the background, maybe? I don't know if well, I'm I reading too much. I think there's an economy thing in the background, like yeah. you were saying, Carla. Like, I think it's a background to a lot of Soderbergh's films, and it reminded me of Logan Lucky. Um, you know, like, just like, there's always televisions in the background of his films, like, mm. kind of showing what's going on in the rest of the world. And I think um, everyone in this film is hustling constantly, mm. like, for everything. Everyone has a sideline, everyone mm. has a, you know, some other deal or some other thing they're working towards. Everyone's working three jobs. Um, there's these little kind of scenes of class dissonance throughout yeah. it as well. Like when, um, you know, the Paula, the, the girl that Mike's seeing as a kind of, you know, fuck buddy or whatever, um, you know, treats. Who's just studying him. Who's studying him as, as a, a subject yeah. Yeah. and using him for sex and then really doesn't want to actually engage with him as a person. As a person. Yeah. Um, what about the woman at the bank? Who, yes. You know, and she starts looking at his folio and... and you know, she she actually feels compassion for him and pity, which he utterly rejects. But yeah. I just laughed thinking, looking at that folio. <laughs> well, speaking of that, do you think that, what is with that furniture? Like, does Soderbergh represent that as him as being deluded, or is it is it is it supposed to be like, oh, some people would be into that furniture? Because I just look at that shit and I just think it's ugly as fuck like so ugly and i would never give anybody money to create a business yeah, but they're to in make florida that. that's true and yeah. also they, and it's set up it's really creative but it's like, set up at the beginning where the psychologist is like oh that's amazing like where did you get that from he's like it's just shit that washed up on the beach <laughs> <laughs> put a piece of gloss on it yeah i mean i think it's a little bit of both i think like you know he obviously is kind of a bit deluded but at the same time... There's a hustle in everything. Yeah. Uh, yeah, like in that scene in the bank where, you know, um, he has that stack of cash and <gasps> he's in a bank oh my God. and they look at it like it's a pile of shit. Like, because you know, it's his crumbled up stripper dollars yeah. that he's ironed out. Yeah. And also um, on the construction site where the boss, like, you know, is bawling out the kid because yeah, he, he took, took an extra can of Pepsi. So I think like there's this real sense of like um you know vulnerability in the community yeah. like that they're in just in general of yeah. people kind of like getting to breaking point. Sure. Yeah. Which is most Americans. Yeah, really. exactly, and that's just it's, gotten worse. And that you know that 
even though he is aspiring, like even though he's playing by the rules of the American dream, which is, you know, working hard and having five mm. jobs and being an entrepreneur and not having a boss and not being a dicker that works in organize a corporation, he can't get past a certain level. And now yeah. that his beauty is fading, yeah. um, he'll have nothing left and he's acutely aware of it, whether it's kind of subconscious, a little yeah. bit conscious, yeah. but yeah. Yeah, that's exactly right. I and if he it's... doesn't, um, and if he doesn't do something about it now, which is what I guess the arc of the film is, he's going to end up like Dallas. Mm. Yeah, you know, and... and that's that's the other that's the other kind of myth of the American dream. It's not just the you know like keep your nose clean, fly right, you know, and you'll get ahead, um, but also like this idea that you know you'll be plucked out of the masses for your beauty and Mm. uniqueness and there are so many industries in america that operate on that myth like hollywood or like sports like this idea that you know it compensates for all the shit inequality in that country for presenting this like mythical opportunity that could happen you know could happen to anyone like but also the body beautiful besides um, this is an interesting flip on the beauty privilege that he's presented in the past, but also that if you're not someone who plays by the rules, it's well, it's 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 having their cake and eat it too. Because on one side they want you to be an entrepreneur, and on the other side they're like, oh well, if you don't work for a corporation, you don't have insurance. Well, fuck you. Exactly. Right. So the really, it's also like the body beautiful as well is. You, it's the it's almost like the Aryan race. It's like it's the survival of the fittest, you know. So he's not only is he losing his moneymaker essentially in his appearance, he's he's looking into a future of if he gets one illness or mm. you know one twisted mm. ankle and he can't go to the the uh, site for a couple of months, then he'll be homeless. Which is what you happens know. to uh, Channing Tatum's character in Logan Lucky. Mm. Yeah. Whoa! I just got goosebumps. Yeah. And, I, and, I, and I think Brooks, Brooks is circle. a medical assistant. You know, yeah. And, yeah. And so I think that's definitely backgrounded. Yeah. There in that in that. Movie. Yes, exactly. Yeah. He's yeah. processing Medicaid claims. Like, yeah. That's yeah. what she does. Yeah. 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 That's. I mean, see, all that stuff is like interwoven into it. Who into wrote this, this film in particular in a really seamless way? Who wrote this? I don't, I don't know. know. I don't know. I didn't I, look it up. We've got to look into that because it is a great uh, script. I can tell you well. actually. It is written by. Reed Carolyn. Mm. Don't know. Is that I don't know who that is? Yeah. Someone who oh, very Wrote young and script. handsome, very young and handsome man. Yeah, um, who hasn't written anything. Twenty two Jump Street. Oh, <laughs> which is apparently actually very good. Yeah, it's pretty. That's funny. another Chante. It's not too bad. Yeah. Oh, of course you've seen it. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> Can we talk about El Siege? Joe oh. Manganiello. 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 <laughs> Uh, I loved watching the group dance scenes because, you know, it's like very much like you just put the sort of less mobile kids at the back. So you know, <laughs> Tarzan just kind of like steps side to side. Because he can barely move. Because he can barely move. I love this film. Like I put this, I've seen this film fucking half a dozen yeah. times, but I put it on at 11 o'clock last night because I thought, oh, my partner had gone to bed. He was asleep. And I was like, I'll just watch an hour before I go to bed. And then he got up. And I said, I've just put Magic Mike on because he's like, oh, I don't want to watch it. It's a movie about, you know, strippers. He's like, no, you know, like it's not about strippers because that's the whole reason why I didn't want to watch the movie as well. I was like, right. yuck. Anyway, we put it on. I'm like, look, we'll just watch half an hour because I just want to watch something before I go to bed. 
transfixed. Yeah, Andrew <laughs> like, too. Yeah. Till one o'clock in the morning, yeah. you know, and Jack was like, that was one of the most amazing movies I've ever seen. Yeah, no, yeah. Blair loves it too. Yeah. He's always like, when we watch it, he's like, that's a really good film. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know my favourite dance? He's not as much of a fan of Extra Extra Large. No, we're not so gonna, different. I know we're not covering that, but yeah. that is like the greatest movie of all time. But anyway, that's another story. <laughs> Um, my favorite dance just before we go is the um, the military one where they use like machine gun fire. Oh, and, you know, do you remember that one? Yes, <laughs> so good. Oh, I, mean, I love the opening co- act with the umbrellas. Yes, yeah, yeah. that was beautiful. I yeah. think the scene Madonna's choreographer. Was what? Used. Yeah, oh. some of her stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think pony when of course uh, when brooks in the club watching him is yeah. like a pretty great scene mm-hmm. and her expression like perfect yeah yeah it's like she's being slowly lowered down a well yeah. <laughs> <laughs> totally <laughs> i know just like the the the, the stages of acceptance yeah. like yeah. denial and then you know this is hot but i feel disgusted <laughs> about myself and but i can't stop watching yeah. <laughs> Actually, what maybe, happened I, to maybe my I like life? it. Maybe I like it. Um, yeah, so how did you feel about the love story as well? Like, because it's really, it is a love story. It is. I loved it. I, I loved it. Was it. Great. Yeah. yeah. Mm. I think it was completely believable. It sort of. I totally believe women are redeemers. <laughs> <laughs> I was like to say, yeah, was it too cheesy a redemption narrative or was it just a nice payoff for Mike? Like, yeah, I mean. I liked the fact, you know, like it was, that was the romance part. That yeah. was, you know, like the yeah. romance formula part where they yes, start off hating right. each other's guts or, yeah. you know, not really, but. He's the most annoying man I've ever yeah. met. <laughs> <laughs> so good. He becomes her Darcy. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I do think in a way, like, I don't think it's trite because I think there's also that message in there of like, of course we need money to survive, but it can really lead us away from the things that are important in life. Mm. And I think that that was a very sweet way of bringing him back into the real world. You oh, know? He was like really searching for connection throughout mm. the whole film. Like he's sort of, you know, yeah, you could see that he's kind of, is a bit adrift from the yeah. life that he was leading before. Like he mm. doesn't feel like he fits into it anymore. Mm. Poor Channing. <gasps> <laughs> Poor thing. It's beautiful. This, yeah. Anyway, I, I could talk about this movie forever, but you know, every we time have to I hear stop somewhere. <laughs> but, but I was so amazing watching it with someone who had never seen it before. Yeah. And when Genuine started up, my boyfriend was like, "Yeah!" <laughs> he was like hooting and hollering at the same time, like, "See, see, <laughs> yeah." He gets it. Yeah. Um, All right. Shall we press pause? Yes. Yeah. Press pause, press pause. Okay, so who's got what for press pause? I don't really have anything. I didn't look it up. Uh, yeah, so Cody Corn, who plays Brooke, mm. was actually um, a former head of Warner, oh. um, her, his daughter. That's and right, yeah. Steven Soderbergh said he remembered her from like 16 years ago. When, oh, no, when she was 16, playing, not playing, being a PA, <laughs> playing at being a PA <laughs> at Warner. And then um, she showed up for the audition and, and he thought she was perfect for it. Um, so, yeah, I thought that was interesting. Boss's daughter. Yeah. I, Do we know anything about, like, I I have a vague memory of not thinking that McConaughey had heard about this and called Soderbergh and basically said that he was going to kill himself if he wasn't casted. Someone called him. Uh, so it was one of the other actors called him and, said, and told him about to it. And in 10 minutes he agreed. Ah, uh, Okay. <laughs> 
Yeah. And it really is. A, Perfect. It's, it's, it's the guy from Dazed and Confused. Yeah. <laughs> like he even brings that all right, all right, yeah, all, all right, right line to so this film, you know. They, the whole cast spent a lot of time in strip clubs kind of like soaking up the culture. But Matthew McConaughey. Ma- male strip clubs or? Male strip clubs. Okay, yeah. 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 <laughs> Matthew McConaughey apparently also spent weeks going to strip malls getting fully <laughs> the, waxed. The other kind of strip. The other kind of strip getting waxed. <laughs> getting strip waxed. <laughs> as kind of prep for the role to get into the headspace. Tanned. <laughs> he's so, it's, he's got that like, you know, soft leather. Yeah. Yeah. It's really weird. And mm. it kind of, you know, contrasts with his very ultra blonde tipped hair. Yeah. Yeah. Like greasy, it's a bit greasy. Like so ill. Kind of wavy here. I love him in this. <laughs> oh, I love him too, but I found him oh, so yeah, gross. Oh, yeah, you never want him to touch you. No. Yeah. <laughs> it would leave like an oil, like a, yeah. a yeah. wet print on you. Yeah. He definitely has like zebra print sheets and a mirror above his bed, <laughs> you know. <laughs> I also have a fan conspiracy theory about Magic Mind. What? So, like, at the end of the film, when he does, he's he likes doesn't do the navy dance that he was gonna do that um, Dallas wants him to do, and he does his own routine. Mm. Um, (laughs) So, my fan conspiracy theory is that the navy dance that Channing doesn't do in that film is the one that he does in Hail Caesar. Ah, oh, that's very sweet. Yes. <laughs> that there's a connection between, there's like some kind of offline connection between those two films. You wish. But also, because <laughs> that was such a you great... You just want to supercut them together. <laughs> I, <do. laughs> I know. <laughs> also, that substitute routine that he did was improvised by Channing Tatum. By Channing Tatum. Uh, of course. So like that last dance that he does in the club is like one that he was allowed to kind of just freeform himself. Yeah. Which I think and shows, that he did. shows his true <laughs> skills. And is also the, one of the first things he does in the first, in Magic Mike XXL. Yeah. Mm. You know, yeah. The, the dance at the start of that. Where yeah. he's like dancing around his woodwork room. <laughs> That's right. Yes. Yes. Um, I don't have anything for Haywire. I mean. No. No. No, I don't. Nothing. Okay, well. If oh, yes, I do. I do, do. I do. It's a really good one. Um, they say, the rumour is, Laura San Giacomo actually dubbed Gina Carano's voice. Whoa. That's the rumour. It's not controversial. There's, there's a bit of like, yeah, a bit of that, oh, a bit I'm of noise on the back. interwebs about that. I'm going to have to go back and listen to it carefully. Yeah, yeah. My eagle ears. <laughs> yeah, I don't have the eagle ears, so I couldn't tell. <laughs> but, yeah, there you go. And that concludes episode 12 of Club Soderberg. If you haven't caught up on earlier episodes, there's still time uh, to get up to scratch on the chronological filmography of Steven Soderbergh. You can subscribe to us on Beyond Pod, TuneIn, iTunes, and wherever great podcasts are found. Thanks as always to Zeph Anastasio, our sound engineer, extraordinaire, and gracious host. We'd love to hear from you, hear your impressions of Soderbergh films, your favorite bits of Soderbergh trivia. You can contact the team at club at clubsoderberg.com. Our Facebook page is Club Soderberg, Twitter at Club Soderberg. We'd really love to be engaged with other Soderberg fans, so please don't be shy and we'll see you in a month. 